Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I didn't see you walk in. This is a show usually revolving around the world of independent culture. The reason I'm doing a little different intro for those of you that are regular listeners is I want to draw you in. We're going to have like a little fireside chat here. And the reason that this is such a special episode is not only the guest, but the message, the revelations. There's, There's so much tied into this episode. Honestly, it's really, really special for me to bring this to you. The guest this week is is Buddy Nielsen. He is in a band called Senses Fail. He is the vocalist of the band. He moved out to Los Angeles about, uh, I don't know, two or so years ago. I had only met him prior to uh, him moving to LA via the podcast. He was a very early guest on this show. We immediately clicked. We started to keep more in touch. He moved out here, and then we've hung out a few times. Basically, we've 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 grown close to one another. He's a good guy. We've got a lot of the same ideas in regards to uh, business and the music industry and a bunch of stuff. So fast forward, maybe I don't know, six or so months ago, Buddy and I uh, had lunch. He he brought this idea up to me. He was like, "Hey." So I've got these these things that I want to get off my chest and discuss uh, on your show. Would you be interested in helping me? And so we had a discussion about it. And, you know, I'm not going to bury the lead, but uh, basically this is one of the reasons why I do this show. This is a platform for people to, uh, you know, share their experiences and uh, talk about things that sometimes might be uncomfortable and difficult to bring up. Buddy brought this to me. It was extremely meaningful. Uh, the, the idea of transparency and the idea of putting yourself out there, regardless of either the judgment or controversy or whatever it is that will will come about, is irrelevant. It's just honest moments that that you could share with other human beings. Buddy, Buddy was carrying a very large weight around for a very long period of time, and he went through some really, really dark times. Yeah, we're going to discuss those dark times, and he's going to talk a lot about addiction. He's going to talk a lot about many things. So like I said, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm not going to tell you what we discussed because uh, I want I want him to do that in his own words. I kind of feel like, I don't know, there's just the show has kind of come into its own uh, with this particular episode. Of course, I had aspirations that this would be meaningful to a select group of people. But as the show continues to grow, it just continually blows my mind the sort of uh, stories that people are are comfortable sharing and the perspectives that we're able to get inside these people's lives, their art or whatever it is that they're they're putting out in the world. It's it's an incredible thing. So basically, I, I'm I know this is very uh, self indulgent in a way, but I just I wanted to thank all of you for joining me in this journey, and I want to thank Buddy for wanting to share his views and his story. Honestly, the first time in his life is putting himself out there, and um, you know he's not going to do a ton of interviews around this. He wanted this to be kind of the definitive. Dis- Discussion points because ultimately, and I, I want to be clear, by the time that the show is over, it will end on a positive note. He is in a much better place personally now, but this was stuff that you know he prior to this this podcast being released, he had shared these struggles with you know less than a handful of people. Like I said, that's why this intro is is different, serious, not about uh, myself or the show, but just about the uh, the platform that this this thing is. So without further ado, this is my conversation with, with Buddy Nielsen from Census Fail, and uh, I will talk to you afterwards. Hey, 
I've never had a repeat guest. You will be my no, first really? repeat. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I feel like most places, like I can get somewhere in an hour with people. So you're you're, you're breaking molds all over the place here. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, I felt, I mean, because the last time we talked, that was the first time you and I had ever spent any time yeah. together. And it was one of those things where I walked away from it being like, I like you, buddy. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird when I heard, I've obviously known about you for years and years prior to that. And it was, I think, one of the f- most funny anecdotal stories that I, that someone told me you were into Taken. And this yeah, was yeah, like yeah. three <laughs> people removed where it's like, oh, I heard Buddy Nielsen likes Taken. And yeah. I was like, oh shit. Like, that's all. And that, you know, someone told me that at the time. It was like, whatever, 2004, 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, you were an untouchable person. <laughs> and so Big it was, Taken fans. And so it was just, it was weird for me to hear that and then meet you years later and just be like, like, oh yeah, you're, you're a human. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I presume that a lot of the, uh, I guess the projections that you put out there now are just like, you're like, I, I am just this normal person, like not normal person, but just like, I am a dude that is just getting on a stage. Like, because you've had, yeah. cause I'm sure in the past there were not so much maybe on your parts, but machinations put in place to create a division between you and the crowd. Yeah, I think so. I think that sometimes people come at me with some of that. I try to, like shut that down right yeah. away just because it, it just makes me feel uncomfortable right. <laughs> not even not even because like yeah, yeah it's just i just makes me feel very weird yeah. um You're like why are you looking at me like that? i mean i think there's also been like a lot of different versions of myself i think that there's a lot of different versions of everybody you know i think everybody puts up some level of self for different occasions you know, sure. when you when you're with someone you know for a long time, you're someone different than when you meet someone for the first time, or right. when you go to work, you're a different person than when you're at home. It's like you have a di- many different versions of your right. self, none of which are really truly decor you. Right, and I that's sort of feel like there's been many different versions of myself, none of them being very representative of who I maybe actually am. Right, what you what takes you years to uncover and discover yeah. it takes um, a lot of work, I think. Yeah, no, it does. Unless you're Morrissey. Right. And then you just, yeah. I'm hoping to get a Morrissey quote out of this. You're, if I die, I die. I think it's the greatest <laughs> quote I've ever heard in my it's life. It's great. Yeah, it's the most, it's the most. I'm just, not going to worry about that too much. I'll rest when I'm dead. Right, like, right. I just can't. You're like, I get it. A very large I die, stick. I die. That's right. so good. That's so perfect. It's so amazing. It encapsulates everything that he is. and who- I unwillingly like Morrissey. I don't want to, but I do like it. Right. It was perfect way to right. say that. It's just like, I get it. Yeah. I, I love you for that. And I get it. Pull, pulling up the thread in regards to like you were saying, putting so many different versions of yourself, you know, your, your upbringing, you know, in New Jersey and the, the sort of whatever patterns or uh, things that you started to notice that could be, you know, defined as either destructive just in your family around you. How was your upbringing influencing you at that particular time that you can obviously look back on now and reflect? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm in a lot of it starts from my very early memories. I was kind of born into um, a pretty unstable situation, Okay, just family-wise. Um, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't abusive at all or anything like that. It was yeah. just, it, it's... Um, Volatile in the sense of like... Well, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't, my parents were clearly, as long as I can remember, not... Not in love and not uh, right. going. Not a union. Not right. a union, and and it was. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, my parents ended up getting divorced when I was five. So okay. any semblance of like solid ground, mm-hmm. I never really had. 
Okay. And, um, you know, my earliest, one of my earliest memories is just sheer, like, panic. Okay. Which, I mean, obviously, now that I look back on it, really sets the stage for, you know, growing out of, you know, I mean, one of my earliest memories is just of catching, it was catching my parents, like, in a fight. Mm-hmm. We're clearly not supposed to see. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't remember too much of it. I only really remember emotions. Really, I remember, I remember like, like panic attack. Yeah, you know, yeah. At the age of five, you know, kind of being in a situation where you don't, all my whole world is this, is my house, right. my parents, that's it. I don't know. I don't have any other, I have nothing. Right. So to really see that, I think. And it shook you. Yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, it, it molded, a reaction to all future occurrences like that this was going to sort of be my body chemistry for for okay. for how I can come into contact with with stress with obstacles with things sure um and um did you so did you in the divorce did you end up with your mother or your father I ended up with my with my mom okay and uh, it wasn't i mean it wasn't really that messy of a divorce or anything it was just it was it was really just, I think, I have this very, you know, I have, and I've talked about it in a lot of my songs. I have this very strange memory on the 4th of July in like 1989. Okay. That, um, I don't know what happened and I wish I could have the memory back, but it was, it was the first time I'd ever felt like that sheer panic of anybody's had a panic attack where your sort of heart drops into your stomach, you're sweating. Sure. And, um, you're, you're sort of the sound is magnified. And, and I mean, what, a, what it really is, I mean, what that really reaction is, is, is a fear-based reaction as if you're as like, it's the same reaction as if there was a bear. Yeah. Fight or flight. Yeah. It's a right. fight or flight response. You know, we have fight, flight or freeze. You mm-hmm. know, there's fight, which is the, you know, some people react in that way. Right. There's the flight, which is the runaway, which is the more of anxiety. And then there's the freeze, which is, you know, animals like this is in our brain from, coming up from being a lizard you know we have those responses and they're they're like automated totally and you know so the panic one for me was uh, this is the that's i don't know it was for whatever reason it was the one that one you went to one one i went to to protect myself because whatever was happening and i don't really know i can't even honestly really tell you if it was any sort of abuse or Mm -hmm. uh or or i don't know what it was i I don't have access to a lot of those memories i mean you just know something traumatic happened clearly it wasn't good i mean and i've been working through a lot of it trying to like re-access a lot of those memories sure um through hypnosis and stuff like that no just through meditation and and, uh just trying to allow myself because there's there's a lock there is my body obviously remembers it obviously remembered it left an imprint, that right? That reaction and and, yeah, yeah. and 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 how to react then moving forward through my life to situations and relational situations. But my mind, my brain, the actual images and content of what happened kind of escapes me, even though I do remember very specific things. I remember like it's very odd. I mean, I don't, I just, if, if it's, it's, I remember, you know, uh, the setting, the okay. smell, I remember certain sounds. I remember the smell of alcohol and my dad's breath, but I don't remember anything that happened. Right. It was right, very right. kind you of, you don't, you don't remember the event, but you remember the, like the colors and the yeah. textures around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, that is very symptomatic of, like you said, where it's like, you know that something terrible. I had happened. some sort of traumatic experience that totally. I don't, it and really, you like a psychological break to where it's like, yes. I am, I cannot function yes, exactly. moving forward. Right. Yeah. And, right. and, and so when I was five, six, I had some sort of traumatic event or multiple traumatic events, which 
I don't really remember. And I really, I wish I could because there's a part of me that doesn't understand. Well, above all, you're just curious. Yeah. I just really like, (laughs) you know, what the fuck happened and why I decided why, like, there was that break because you overload Mm -hmm. and then your body goes fight, flight, freeze. Like, this is too much. We got to shut this down. We got to shut it down. We have to protect you. We have to burn these synapses. Yeah. We have to take yeah, and, yeah. and and that's what happened. And that yeah. happened when I was, you know, fucking five years old. And I remember I remember that feeling. Every time I have a panic attack or any kind of anxious episode, I go back to that place. Okay. It, a part of me does. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. part of me recognizes is still that sure. child, that five year old that had whatever traumatic event happened. Yeah. And um, you know, and then I, I think you know, my parents got divorced and, and, mm-hmm. and then you lived with your mom. I lived with my mom and sort of my dad sort of became estranged for okay. the most part. And so, I mean, did he check in in your life? Yeah. I mean, all? it was, you know, it was, it's, well, yeah, he was in and out and he kind of moved around. I mean, it, it, it was sort of, it sort of took me a long time to realize that he wasn't going to show up. That, that took years. Well, of course you're hopeful as a kid. You're just like, I wouldn't even say hopeful. It was just like, that's true. From I, I didn't even yeah. know. I just I didn't even know like what the you know I, I you know for most of my young childhood I would go every other weekend with him. Okay, and he he moved around all the time around New York and California, and then came back and got remarried, and you know I mean it was it it was never a. Um, it was never a stable environment. Yeah. No, it was never really a stable environment, and I never really felt you know at all really one hundred percent comfortable with him. Yeah. You obviously knew your father, but then you're always entering these strange yeah. lives. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. you're going back and forth. I mean, every other weekend, I'm sure if anybody grew up, grew up like that, I mean, yep, it's very stressful. I mean, to like as you're growing up, you're you're just developing a sense of like you're trying to develop a sense of what the world is and right. you know where you feel comfortable and and what your boundaries are and and what works and and you're sort of floating back in between these living situations. None of which ever really feeling whole. No, for sure. So, and I'm sure everybody who's grown up without yeah. parents or even in a, you know, even in a situation where they're going back and forth, even if it's both parents being completely involved, it's still very disruptive, developing a sense of, I, I would say, trust in, in trust in the goodness of life. I sure. think that that's something that probably I think was stolen from me at a very young age was this, this belief and trust that it doesn't default to awful. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like <laughs> the default isn't, isn't scary good. death, right. You know, disassociation, bad panic. Things. Sure. Sure. That's not the default. Right. But that's was sort of my default. I mean, yeah, that's you, kind of really, I didn't really ever up until, you know, recently really in like actively having to really, sit down and work at it, really mm-hmm. get to experience the other side of things because my default had been set to, you know, my default is kind of okay, eventually going to fall back to where it was. Right. Or just awful. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, there was you you were on you were on that 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 quicksand where it was like Yeah. Yeah, there's a rock you can stand on in the middle of it. Yeah. I don't think any level of someone's suffering is comparative to other people's. I don't think that mm-hmm. anyone has a right including myself, to compare one's suffering with another's. I don't think that that's what any of this is supposed to be. And right. I don't think that that does anyone any good. Mm-mm. I don't think that 
one person's trumps another. I think that that's a really awful, unproductive way to look at totally. stuff. And I think we do that in American culture a lot. I Constantly. think we do that a lot of the like. Well, you didn't have it as bad as me. Yeah, you know, it's that's like a it's a very American thing totally. to uh, toughen up. Yeah, well, everyone's had a bad childhood. Everyone, you know, everybody, yeah. you know, and that's and that's. I don't think, uh, and I want to make sure that people understand that. One, I'm not coming from a place of saying that mine is any worse. Mine is just as bad as everybody else's who's ever even had any kind of childhood yeah. that wasn't idyllic. Even right, if right. it, even if it is idyllic, it, there's still going to be some level of need that wasn't met. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's very difficult to grow up with, with all of our needs being met by parents who are flawed because everybody, a lot of people grow up flawed and you, you do the best you can to not pass that down to your child, of course. but there's going to be something you don't get to, or maybe didn't realize or weren't aware of that, you know, you pass down and, and it's just, it's, so even if you did grow up in an idyllic situation, I mean, it doesn't mean you didn't grow up with any kind of shortcoming or whatever. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Every, everyone, everyone is lacking. Like you said before, everyone's lacking for something. It's just a matter of, of being able to identify what that is and hopefully be able to like, you, like you have been doing where you're working on it and you're hopefully trying to move past it. Yeah. And I just, I just wanted to say that cause I know that that that's a, could be a, a, a response totally, you totally. Know, to, to, to when people I think become kind of vulnerable and talk about mm-hmm. the way they grew up. I think one way to respond to overuse that where you over, you know, you kind of use that as a crutch, of but course. then you also can also just be like, wow, you know, my life was worse. And yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or, or, cause I did that to myself for a long time. I was like, I grew up fine. Uh-huh. Like nothing's wrong with me. Like I have a roof over and that's, that's, that's very true. But it like, is, yeah. there's also a bunch of things that happen that if I didn't accept that they were harmful and bad that I would never have a chance to move past that. So it's like I ignored for so long that because I grew up well off and because I grew up in a situation where, you know, I ended up having a great stepfather and I have a great mom and my dad is great too. It's just, it just all didn't, didn't cohesively work as expected and left me with some bumps and bruises and some of them deep and some of them not so much like, I wasn't. I wasn't willing to sort of allow myself to have any sort of uh, like the recognition of that. yeah, the recognition of that. Just having the recognition of it took thirty, twenty nine years. Totally. I mean, because it was so much. Like, I just didn't want to give myself the uh, freedom to go. Yeah, you know, that's fucking tough. That yeah. was really fucking tough. <laughs> right, right. For your first memory, one of your first memories to be, you know, equivalent to. Being in the middle of the wilderness, standing in front of a bear, going, "What the fuck am I supposed to do?" It's totally. like, it, and it's not, it's not dra- dr- making that dramatic. It's that is actually your body's yeah, response right. to when you have the fight, flight, freeze. This is your body pumping that's chemicals. The, right. That's the blue. It, that's the blueprint in which for you were. how we survive and right. how we and and you, my body was that convinced that I was in some sort of danger that. Yeah, yeah. For a majority of your childhood, right, right, right. You know, and I, you know, because even after that, I mean, my parents got divorced, and we ended up moving, and I moved to New Jersey because mm-hmm. I'd lived in upstate New York, right, on a lake. You know, it was like we lived in a house that was owned by the B fifty twos. It was pretty nice. Yeah, 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 it was. You know, and then uh, that broke up, 
Jersey. Moved to New Jersey. My grandparents had lived with us. My my grand my grandma uh, and this makes sense for later on. My grandma and my grandpa were probably the most common fixtures in my life until I was about eight or seven because okay. they moved in with uh, my mom and my dad once we moved out because I was born in New York City. Right. We moved out. You know they some story where some like homeless man reached into the. Carriage. Carriage. Sure. was like, oh, let me touch your kid. And mom was like, we're moving out of the city. And it's in the 80s. We got to get out of here. It was yeah, 80s yeah. New York City. It of wasn't, course. you know, it's not yeah. like. Times not Square now. cheese ball. Yeah, 80s yeah. New York City. Which, you know. Yeah. There's some crime. Yeah. 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 Uh, so my grandparents moved in because they both worked in the city because they both worked on uh, uh, soap operas. Okay. They both were on As the World. No, they both were on Guiding Light. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Both my dad and my mom. That's where they met. Okay. Um. So they would drive like an hour and a half to the city every day. So my grandparents moved in and they took care of me. And they really, oh, my grandma kind of really, you know. So basically your parents were just mimicking a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to make light of the I mean, situation. It was really, it was a real life soap opera, I guess. <laughs> That's crazy. I had, yeah. I, had, I had no idea. And so, yeah, but you're, so you're obviously. My grandparents kind of, my, my grandma was really, you know, sort of the one constant. And after the divorce, they moved with us to New Jersey, and she lived there with us for a couple of years. So in for that period of time where I was sort of like, you know, uh, losing my shit as a five, six-year-old, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, my grandma was sort of there. So I really identify, you know, with her. And I think that sort of, that'll set the stage for later on in this story when she explains a lot more of the census fail stuff and some some stuff happens. But right, right. Just putting it out there that, you know, I have a deep... Um, connection you, with my grandma as also my second mother is also someone that raised me and someone that was like constant in yeah paternal to you yeah right right right, right. Um, so yeah we moved to new jersey and i think it was like seven eight nine okay i um you know just was growing up sure know? and I, it was it was difficult it was very difficult to move it was very difficult to i, I didn't sleep very well. I didn't sleep at night. I used to not be able to sleep. I used to wander around the house. Oh wow! I was like seven or eight years old, nine years old. Sure. I, I I couldn't sleep. I'd have so much anxiety. Okay. That I wouldn't sleep through the night. I just wander around. It sure. Was really you would weird. have to like physically exhaust yourself. Yeah. I don't even know what I'd really do. I'd go and I'd try to sleep in my sister's room sometimes. I ended up sleeping on my mom's floor a lot okay. from I think the time I was like seven sure. till. 10 or 11 till right. I, till I hit puberty. Yeah. 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 It was whether preteens. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, that yeah. Phase, elementary school. Yeah. Sure, yeah until, yeah. you know, cause I was like, I just, I really didn't ever feel like comfortable at night. I couldn't, it was like something, whatever, whatever traumatic thing happened, which I still don't know, which I right. wish it happened at night. I mean, okay. I specifically know it was time, a night. Right. Yeah. That was part of the texture. Sure. Texture and sort of, I just, I've, uh, I, you know, I was never able to sleep. So, you know, mm. seven, eight, it was just weird. It was really weird, you know, and I, I blocked a lot of it out for most of my life, but now coming, you know, back to it, just re recognizing like, you know, just like that's, you're like, that's not normal. No, yeah. it's not normal. And I was, it was terrible. I mean, just, you know, having yeah. anxiety and panic attacks at that age and not really understanding or f having a place to like do anything with of it. Of course. Like, well, yeah, you just kept, you, you kept it and you had I didn't even know how to explain it to people. I mean, the way course. I used to explain it was I have a stomach ache. You know, right. and that's really not a... Well, that's yeah, a catch-all. That's a, the, the only way as a child you know how to express yourself. Like, yeah. oh, my head hurts. Or yeah. Must, yeah, yeah, that's and it. And now I used to say, my stomach used to hurt all the time. And right. it was like, it was just anxiety. You're giving yourself ulcers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was anxiety. I mean, right. I just had constant anxiety. I just didn't, I mean, I just didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to explain it. And of nobody course. really knew. And so elementary school was... 
I'm sure you were sleepwalking, sleepwalking through most of it as well. I didn't really have a lot of friends and, you know, yeah. as I'm sure a lot of people, you know, have that awkward stage where. Yeah. Figuring themselves out. Or just your friends are forced upon you by nature of who your parents right. are friends with. And, right, right, right. You know, you're or like, through proximity. You go hang yeah. out with someone one time and then you never hang out with them again. Just like you do all that weird shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess that guy's my friend. Even I, you don't I even don't... know. It's a really weird, really, it's, it's like really awkward. Yeah. It was a really awkward phase in my life because I was, you know, once I hit puberty, things would get better because my hormones would just slam in and I sort of deadened everything that had happened up until then. Right. Because right. it was like everything else was heightened. There was a focus to my, and that, and that, that, that my focus changed like when I got into music. Oh, really. I'm sure. Yeah. It was like the one thing that I think when I was in fourth grade, you know, I started listening to the radio mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, Nirvana and REM and sure. all that stuff. And, and then Rancid and Green yeah. Day and Offspring yeah. and that and Metallica. Like that was my first, my first record ever was uh, <laughs> Master Puppets by Metallica. Sure. I was like 11. And I that. was like this, I don't know why, but this. This is it. This is it. This yeah. speaks to me. This represents <laughs> something I can't. Right. Say. Yeah. These guys are saying it though. These guys are saying it. And playing it. And yeah. this, this is it. And that's right. like, I switched, I went from like stumbling around, not really to, I'm going to fucking break shit. Right. And I'm going to be fucking loud and I'm going to fucking yell. Right. I got my voice. Sure. And I'm going to fucking, this is how I'm going to make friends with people. Right. So that's what I started doing. I was like the kid, I would be like, Hey buddy, throw that chair down the stairs. Be like, Absolutely. Right. Fuck yeah. <laughs> of course. So I, that's when I started doing stuff like that. So right. I started listening to punk. Sure. And metal. Right. And started doing stuff like that. And then I got friends. And I was like, this is fucking killer. Yeah. You know, I, like, I keyed into something. No, here. but yeah. I was like, it was the first time that I finally, that I felt like, I, I think I've been floating in this ether of like from birth until yeah, now, yeah. just sort of like, just never really being able to latch on to anything because it just, Feel sort right, of felt right. like like it was you know and obviously you know your parents splitting up at that age and very developmental stage it kind of takes the rug out from under you literally to where you just don't feel that anything is really going to be solid That's true. which is a lot of what causes the anxiety because you don't feel like you have a solid foot on anything of course because you and and you actually don't because yeah. you're five and your whole the whole structure hierarchy of structure right. splits apart right. you lose any sort of solid footing. So I really didn't get any solid footing until I really like got into metal and punk and started like acting out. Yeah. And like realizing that the acting out led people to want to be Just, with me. Right. You know? right, and, right, and right. Like, so like I'd started a long history of, you know, being the the kid in class that was just fucking right. making paper wasps and shooting people and right. sniffing markers and hey, well, let's throw all the markers out the fucking window. Put a golf ball in the teacher's tailpipe. I didn't know what that could have killed someone. Sit around for hours waiting until she turns it on, turns it on, shot out, hit a girl in the leg. One <laughs> time I put a, a one time I put a giant boulder in a girl's backpack. And me and my friends followed her home and watched her struggle carrying the backpack. Like that's the level of the joy you were getting is out like, of other people's suffering, which is course. really fucked up. But well, yeah, but you. I mean, you know, that was really my only way to relate to people. Like, really, my only way to re- and still up until really recently, my only way to relate to people was to 
relate to them in coming from a way of suffering. Mm-hmm. Anytime I encountered anybody that was happy, I wanted to destroy their happiness. Sure. I was secretly completely jealous of it. Right. And I also felt very uncomfortable because I didn't know how to relate to somebody sure. who was om- emitting any kind of joy or happiness because yeah. all I'd really – You're like, I don't identify with that. How yeah. can I change you? Yeah. 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 But, you know, so I acted out through much of – Yeah, most of high early school. puberty. Sure. Not even so much high school. This is more like – Elementary school. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Okay. Junior really, high-ish, yeah, yeah. You know, really just was the person that was literally like ruining people's days. Of course, right. People would actively avoid you because it's like, buddy's going to screw with you. Yeah, I wasn't like violent. I really wasn't yeah, that yeah. violent. Well, it just was more, I was emotionally violent, which I felt was much more destructive. Oh, for sure. I, I was never really so, a yeah. physically violent person. Right, I'm not going to punch you. I'm going to mentally torture you. Yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah, to... Yeah. I'm going to make fun of the jeans you're wearing. Of course. Because that's going to hurt you more than yeah. if I... You'll find that in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that'll still be there. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, I did a lot of really terrible things to a lot of people at a really, you know, young age, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I just, you know, identified with... You probably... You- that, what that was to me, when you start to see how everybody else is and you start to realize that you're not that way... And you start to realize that you can't be that way. You start to get very internally, I'm flawed. Of course. And that thread goes through probably everything I've ever done, really, was this, I'm flawed, I'm fucked up. Right. And the reaction, the, the, the way to react to that is to be, is to, you know, be kind with that and to like, sort of nurture that. Mm-hmm. My reaction was, I'm going to fuck all of you right. for what I was given. That sort of feeling, like once you started to like, you know, whatever, go to shows and like start to feel that sort of, uh, that sense of community, I guess the level of comfort that you maybe felt that you didn't feel elsewhere, like, or was, or was that just the place that you feel like, felt like you could go? I got lost in nineties hip hop before okay. then. Okay. So it's fine. I took a, I veered, <laughs> it's fine. I veered off into a, like a, you know, Biggie, Tupac, Completely understand. I had to. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of all went there, right? So I took like a little detour from that. I think most eleven and twelve and thirteen year olds do that. I was for sure, and Dre and yeah. and Snoop were my guys. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. veered off and got heavily entrenched in that, right? And um, I'm glad I did because it was really good. Now that you see it in hindsight, oh, dude, flawless records, it's really good. Yeah. So I'm glad I like did that, right? But then I came back, right? <laughs> it's funny because the band that like brought me back to all of it was MXPX. Okay. And I was like 14. Makes four, total sense. 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Bane. Okay. I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit. Cause I'd like gotten, I think in middle school I tried a little of everything. And, and like I said, I kind of, I kind of was able to get away from a lot of the uh, internalization of everything. And it was more outward. Right. I was like, okay, so Instead of being internally sort of damaged, I was sort of maybe playing that out by, you know, acting out. Okay. Trying to find out and define who I was spent, took up a lot of time. So I, I kind of just jumped from thing to thing to thing. Sure. Like most people do in that time frame. Right. And that took up a lot of my focus. So I really didn't really have too much of like, I wasn't experiencing a lot of anxiety or panic attacks then. Um, and I wouldn't really until I was like twenty something. Okay, it was all kind of shut down. I kind of like 
you were able to put it out right well, sure. I think I found other ways to deal with it, which was pushing it on other people, acting out, um right, finding other ways to not internalize it, okay, which because before I'd only been it's like this is me, I don't have any other outlet for it. You know, and then it was like, okay, I have found outlets. Right, I found some right. music. I found sports. You know, I played sports. That that you know, you want perfect to, people play sports. You're literally, actually hurting other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you do, I right? Mean, you're, yeah. You know, playing football and and lacrosse, and you you know, you get to hit people with a giant stick. Like that was a good outlet for a lot <laughs> of what was going on. Right. Um. So I found that to take up some of the emotional baggage or whatever or yeah. space. And then, uh, yeah, when I was like 14, I got back into punk and hardcore. And that's when I really like started going to shows right. and found the local scene. More and, involved. Yeah, and got this, involved and yeah. started bands. And, and yeah. that, that's really when I like, turned 180 and was like, came back to like, okay. I had a teacher. I, I also had a teacher. He was, his name is Mr. May. He's probably the, the one teacher that everybody has that like had a very significant role in my life. He was, um, he's a. Uh, in a wheelchair. He okay. Got in an accident when he was, you know, in his late twenties, I think, playing just football with his friends, like fucking around. Wow. Not, you know, yeah, just yeah. broke his tragic neck. accident. Sure. Yeah, tragic. Just you know, one of those things that happens. And uh, he was a teacher, and he taught uh, history, and okay. I loved history. It was my favorite subject. Uh, and he was my freshman year teacher, and I just was just drawn to him because this doesn't, and this isn't to. I want to be careful when I say this. Uh huh. It, I I could relate in a way to his level of suffering. Okay, and not not that I know what it's like, but like, oh wow, yeah. this guy because he he told us a story about it was very you know, and it really touched me. I'm sure other people would remember, it, but he how he after his accident he really like got severely depressed and wanted to kill himself. Sure, he really wanted. He's like you know, I would just sit in my room and think about killing myself. And I didn't, he didn't ultimately because he didn't want his mother to, you know, find him. Find him, sure. And, uh, you know, he ended up pushing through all that. And that just really stuck with me because I was like, whoa, like I had never really had any suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. It hadn't really. You didn't know that was an option. Yeah. Yeah. Not that, it, and it didn't open it up for me. It just more was like, whoa, this guy, there's another person out here. That that has had to suffer through the storm, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and because it was my real first kind, of like yeah, I'm sure you know. We, you just don't talk about that stuff with other people no, when you're young. You know, you're not like hey, how you doing? Like, but oh, that's like a physical manifestation of of hardship, right? Yeah, and yeah. I saw that, and he made it through it, and it was always sort of like, oh, okay, I feel like that this guy. There's, I feel like I can learn something from him. Yeah, you can relate. I can relate. And in a way, just that that he's had some level of suffering, mm-hmm. you know, that like maybe none of the people around me I could relate to. I mean, I could relate to my stepbrothers because when our families came together, it's pretty tumultuous. Mm-hmm. Like him and I kind of got in a couple fights. Sure. I had a, I spread a rumor. This is an example of me wanting to hurt someone else. And right. Sort of, Your manipulation. Sure. Yeah. It's seventh grade, and this is a big deal. Seventh grade, our parents were going to get married. Okay. We're in the same. My stepbrother and I are the same exact age. Okay. Well, he's a little older than me, but a few months or whatever. And we'd known each other before our parents got married, so okay. it was like it was strange. It was, and we all had the same friends. So this is kind of like a weird thing, you know, that was happening, right? And uh, I spread a rumor that I caught him jerking off, which 
in seventh grade is fucking yeah, that's deadly. Totally, that's a that's, scar. That's a scarlet A on your chest. Yeah, right. I mean, that is. Yeah, I don't know what it is now, but back in the nineties, right? 90s, You're a social pariah. Yeah, like that's some big shit. Right. This is like beginning of the internet type stuff. Totally. Like so, he beat me up. Day of our parents' wedding. That was the end of that. Right. Right. <laughs> That was how you worked it out. Yeah. But he probably the only other person that I was like, yeah, I mean, he gets it. Because he yeah. went through it, too. It just did a different... Of course. His parents got divorced. He he had to deal with the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, we have a common I dealt experience. with it in this way. He dealt with it in that way. You know, And right. it was just sort of like... Other than him, though, I didn't really... And everybody else, like, I either didn't know well enough. I mean, you don't know. <laughs> You're not really yeah. getting to a level where you really know people that well in, in, in yeah. middle school, high school. Of like, course. It's very surface. Totally. Oh, you like this? Cool. I like that, too. Okay, cool. Can we spend time together? You yeah, like exactly. This? I don't like this. I'll, li- I'll pretend to like this so I can... So yeah. between that teacher and coming back into like hardcore and punk, everything turned mm-hmm. to where I'd been ignoring my situation for so many years I kind of started to look at myself and go, oh shit, like this is, I recognize finally, like there's some, there's some repairs I can, there's, I couldn't do any yet, but I recognize it was the first time of like self actualization, realization. I'm not like everybody else and not in a way that like, I'm different, like a snowflake, but like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, there's some serious things that like I didn't get or that didn't make sense. And I'm, I've I've kind of like realized that. And that was really, you know, that's really why I got so identified with punk music because that's what was cool about punk is that that sort of flaws were almost like mm-hmm. they were celebrated. Of course. Yeah, they were brought out because you're like, hey, it's this weird island of misfit toys. We're all here for a reason. Yeah. And it's not, you're not deliberately attending this show. This was, you had to work in some capacity to find out about this. And it's because you had plenty of time because you have no friends or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And, and, and that's sort of, that's sort of yeah. why I got into it. And, and most of high school was really spent further pushing towards music. Right. Uh, had a couple bands in high school and, you know, going to shows and finding out about music and, and really that really, really filled a void of, uh, this, I was like, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I, this is how I can deal with the world, deal with the world, express things. I, I, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't, you know, from an early age, I, I, you know, I, I, I encountered the understanding that, surface things aren't going to make me happy. Right. Like right. you want to go deeper. I sure. think, I think because I started off with a certain level of unhappiness. Yeah. I sort of almost knew that like, there's just like there, the basic model of the town I grew up in wasn't going to work for me, mm-hmm. you know, go to school, move back, have kids work in New York city, right. know, work in finance. Like that's just, that model wasn't going to fit me. And I kind of saw that from, you know, a young age. Mm hmm early in high school and said, fuck it. Yeah. And I was like, fuck you. Fuck everyone. And that, that was my, that was your MO. I'm dying my hair green, purple, pink. Fuck you. I'm going to break shit. I'm going to get C's and D's. I'll pass, but I'm not going to care. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just get by. Yeah. Right. So that's basically how I operated in high school, but I still, I I know I, and I always, I, you know, for my own, I always wanted everyone to like me. Um, I felt a real deep seated, need for everyone to really like me. So mm-hmm. I, I, I pretty much maintained, you know, decent. I didn't really ever do anything too terrible right. to anyone. 
So, I mean, that, and that was a need of mine, which also explains why I'm the singer in a band. Of course. You know, because getting up on stage and... Pay attention to me, sure. Pay attention to me and getting some mirroring and feedback of like, we like you. I mean, of it's course. like without that drive for that, I'd, you'd never be driven to be... Not at all. Th- it's not a natural thing. To no. Live. And that, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's such an important point where it's like so many people don't realize that. that that's why, you know, usually people that, you know, whatever, stand-up comedians, singers, whatever, it's like you look at them, you're just like, most most normal people don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, kind of alluding to what you were talking about earlier in regards to the various masks that obviously you know, you wear as you go through life. And so, you know, I mean, like, obviously it's like when we talked about wanting to do this months ago and you were, you were telling me about uh, the struggles that you were going through in regards to like, obviously like, I mean, not, not only throughout your life, but then as census fail started to grow and become a thing, um, you know, the, can you kind of walk me through like the, um, I mean, I know there's different facets in it, but walk me through the different sort of masks that you were putting on when you were, you know, just inherently harming yourself, being really self-destructive and like, you know, kind of walking me through that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, fast forward end of high school, mm-hmm. you know, basically nine 11 happened, which right. I feel like plays a really big role in my life. Yeah. Uh, and in, in, the, in our music scene specifically in the Northeast and Definitely. I think truly reinforced mm-hmm. that the world is not a safe place. There is death and suffering on a level that is very large and very real in which, you know, I think a part of me learned that very early on in life when I you know, first started experiencing life, panic mm-hmm. attacks, whatever. I, I had that sense of that life is scary, dangerous. Yeah, that foreboding, sure. Yeah, yeah. And it was almost reaffirmed by 9-11. So 9-11 really fucked me up because okay. I had had this period of, of most of my life you know, since, since then that was pretty calm and pretty normal. Like, yeah, I acted out and I did all this shit, but I, I wasn't really like, I felt somewhat stable. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then nine 11 happened and it was like, it was very, it was very real, very serious for me. And it wasn't, it was on a level that was like, yes, reaffirming this life is fucked right. and that you are not safe and right. that, that there is no hope. And right. that has always been in the back of my head, but, but to it, have it, to put have, out. it came out there. So, as soon as that happened, I, I, I made the decision that I'm not going to college. I started this band. We did the band, and and we kind of census fail started a, v- a different version of it, whatever. Yeah. And uh, kind of was like, we're gonna do this because okay. like it was sort of almost like, well, your life's fucked. You're gonna die anyways. Do you want to go do this or do you want to go try to? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you know, a couple months later, uh, I wrote a song about him. His name is Steven. He died. Uh-huh. It was the first. I think everybody's had it in their life. Um, the one person when you're young that dies that sort of represents the end of your innocence. Totally. Except for me, it was nine eleven that sort of. I, I don't. I don't feel like, and this is always a big theme throughout my music. Is I don't. I never. I think dealing with that, I never really had much innocence. Mm-hmm. I think I've always been very upset about that. I've always right. been very angry about that. I think still. I'm a little upset and angry that I didn't really feel like I really got to experience a lot of that. Of course. Because it was out of, I mean, it was obviously out of yeah, control. Yeah, nor that I, no, you had nothing, no. You had nothing to do with it. Yeah. It, it was given to you. Right. And um, I think a lot of the music is a reaction to that. But then the reaffirming of 9-11 happening with that and just being so close to the city and knowing people directly affected by it and being able to see it from your town. And it felt very real. And then having a friend die mm-hmm. two months after that was just like, 
I was cake. just listening yeah, to Jets Brazil Orange Rhyming Dictionary constantly, mm-hmm. and then and I got very very depressed. It was a very depressing time, um, but because of that, I got very into like a lot of the spirituality and psych you know, psychology and philosophy that I got into because I was searching for answers for like life questions. Like that was the ground for the band. Right. Was, was those events and the, all that previous history was the grounds for me to be able to feel compelled to really go out and sort of just try to make sense of it in whatever mm-hmm. way I could. Right. So, I mean, the beginning of census fail was really, you know, was really exciting. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't, it, it was a, a real relief, you know, sure. I think from like everything that I had experienced, I really felt like, you know, being, having the success and the mirroring of people liking what you're doing and being drawn to you and liking you and, and you being able to express yourself and people liking that, but then also people like really relating to your experience was probably the most gratifying thing and safe thing that I'd ever felt because it was the first time that I really had people like relating to me, to my experience because, you know, in high school, like I had friends, but I was always the one that like, he's the fucked up one. I couldn't, we couldn't really relate. I mean, like we could relate on everything, but it was always like, you don't really understand, you know, of you know the typical, the stereotypical, like we're not on the same level. Sure. Stereotypical, yeah, yeah. like, you know, motif of the goth kid that uh, yeah, you yeah. don't understand. But like, you know, it's very different when you are that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that was the ground. So the beginning of census fail was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. it really was. It was, it was just everything I ever wanted to do. Right. You know, everything I wanted to get away from, I got away from mm-hmm. and, um, or, you know, thought, yeah, yeah, you thought, thought, right, right, right. You know, every, and, it was uh, it was ultimately just a distraction. Yeah, distraction, yeah. and and you know, really, I mean, for the beginning of Census Fail, I, I, I really, it was great. You know, I really, I really look back on that time as just being one of the more freeing times in my life because it was going from really having just just the fact you can get up every night and play music and have like a release and then have that given back to you was something I didn't get a lot of. Right, you know, I didn't get a lot of the. Uh, well, it's everything's so immediate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that. And and in my life, I never got that. So this was it. So this was like, you know, I think the golden age of of me being alive for the first, you know, up until, um, you know, a band started, you know, everybody knows all the history of the band anyway. So then my grandma died when I was um, 20. Okay. She died when we were on the Silverstein tour. Okay. And, uh, I couldn't process it and I didn't, wasn't willing to because I, I was like, my life is so fucking good right now. Like right. this band has taken me to this level of success. It was after Still Searching came out. It, we were, you know, we were selling out, you know, 2000 cap venues. We were, you know, it was fucking the, the, yeah, the beginning of happening. the peak, ramping it up. Right. You know, it was just the, there was no end in sight. It was the beginning of that music, you know, where, where like everybody was getting signed, every, these bands. It was really exciting. Of course. You know, the possibilities were endless. And then my grandma died, and I was like, I don't want to deal with this. Well, she was dying, and I really couldn't, I really couldn't be there for her dying. Uh-huh. Because I, just, I, just, I really couldn't. I didn't couldn't. have any space. I didn't have any ability uh, because of my attachment to her, too. I just I couldn't deal with it. So she... Uh, she yeah, you, well, to be fair, you selfishly couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Right, right. right. Yeah. Like, you, you, it's like you probably in some capacities, obviously like wanted to be there, but you're just like, Oh, I can't handle that. I can't see her like that. Yeah. I'm sure. So she, she, she passed away while we were on the tour. And I, you know, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't go home. I, uh, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I stayed on the tour right. and I was like, this is more important. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's more important to be on the tour, right. to be in Census Fail, to play music than it was to go home. And it was more important because I, I couldn't, I probably couldn't really handle it. So, right. you know, I came home and everything's fine. And then like kind of out of nowhere, I just started having panic attacks again. Okay. Like it was, so I'd been, you know, I'd stopped having panic, panicking panic attacks around like eight, nine. Yep. And they'd gone this entire good, like time. Like a good 11 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then out of nowhere, it just smacked me in the face. And I didn't know the correlation. It took me years to really figure out like everything. But because I, I didn't know what this was. And I literally thought I was dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally had no idea what was going on. I just felt like the world's collapsing. And we were about to go on tour in Europe on the Vagrant Tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably shouldn't have gone on tour. Yeah. It was it was it was very frightening if anybody's ever experienced it, especially when I because I had cut off the beginning of my life. I really hadn't. The only way I was sure. experiencing the beginning of my life was through music, and I'm talking about it not consciously through lyrics. I wasn't, you know, I'm not like it was very much right. Just sort of whatever's coming out Stream is of consciousness. Sure, yeah, yeah. And it's it's coming from there and it's going here, but it's, it's not landing. It's filtering through right here. And uh, so, yeah, no, I was, I was a fucking mess. I was mm-hmm. a fucking mess. Like I couldn't even leave the house. I was so jazzed up, right. fearful, jacked up. And because, and the thing that was fucked up is like my body remembered from the original instances what this was. Mm-hmm. My mind wasn't really there, but my body knew. And it was, it was very intense and it was very much like, oh my God, like yeah, yeah. this, I can't believe this is. Were you self-medicating at all? Were you like, were no, you? No, not, not, not yet. Okay. I, um, I, uh, I, I, I knew consciously that I didn't want to self-medicate. I didn't want to start drinking or, or smoking. Cause I knew, I knew that I'd, I knew that I'd use it as a, I, you know. Yeah. I'm, as a coping mechanism. Yes. Sure. Right. So I tried to avoid that for a while. Right. Uh, we went on this tour. I was miserable. It was fucking terrible. It was in Europe in in the winter. It was like yeah. three and a half, worst place three and a half weeks long. Oof. And it was my first time dealing with anxiety and panic attacks. I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I was just, I just, I had no, I just grasping at. I really shouldn't have been on tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said no. I said fuck it. You know, it's this is the one thing that is a constant has like, yeah, given sure. me any kind of peace. And, and and I wasn't. I was you know freaking out on stage and not able to like really function and. Um, you know, we came home and, and, uh, I, 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 I'd not wanted to take medication right. before then because I was very afraid of it. I sure. just was very afraid of what it would do to me or just, I just didn't want to take it. So I came home and I was like, I have to take, like, I can't, I like, can't I need something, I need right. something to keep going. My, Cause my body was literally just, if anybody knows the cycles of when you start having anxiety and panic attacks, it becomes this endless cycle where you start fearing the fear and then you're just in this lock of like every time you feel it, you just then perpetuate it. And it's mm-hmm. this yeah, really it's fucked up cycle Terrible, yeah, yeah. Um, that you, you don't really know how to, and when you're in it, you have no idea how to end it. You right. have no idea that it's going to end. You think that this is it. And it's fucked up because it, it, it's not even so much of a depression thing like the, where you don't want to, where you want to disappear. You kind of want to slink off and not exist. This is like, I want to kill myself to end this. Yeah. I got to stop this somehow. Right. Yeah. But I never was too suicidal then just because the thought of not existing to me is very like difficult and uh, anxiety filled thought in my head where it would actually be easier if I I think at times I had not had that. I would have been felt like 
suicide was some sort of option. But for me in that period, I just felt like that in itself was anxiety inducing thinking about the idea of, of, of not existing. And it was, it's, so I was just, I was a complete mess. Sure. It's a complete mess. And uh, it was probably the, this probably the, the peak of the band really, okay. you know, the band is like Lennon Fold, you'd come out. Right. Finally, we were just did the vagrant tour in Europe. We were killing it everywhere. We we're about to go on the taste, first taste of chaos tour. Right. And here I am. And this is, this is like, I'm going through a very, very, very difficult, fucked up, you know, dealing with the death of my grandma and not knowing how to deal with it. Right. Really not knowing how to deal with it. Like I really didn't know what to do. And my body was experiencing this loss in this way that felt, it felt very traumatic. So it reverted to this, like, this is overload. We're going offline. Right. You know, and uh, just experiencing extreme amounts of anxiety. And so did you th- then you, you start, so you started taking medication. Then? I came back from the tour. I started taking medication and um, we got to play Conan, which is like, this is sort of the pinnacle of where everything went downhill because mm-hmm. I was in the, we had done Jimmy Kimmel and went great. I, yep. I did. I have always had a lot of, obviously, you know, I'm very insecure. Um, and was always very insecure about my voice. And in the beginning, I, I sang very well. Um, as I started to grow older, my voice dropped a little. Combined with this sort of mental obstacles I was experiencing, I, I lost control of my voice and um, any sort of confidence sure. in I being able to express myself that way. Right. You're like something I, I've known how to do for years. All of a sudden that's more difficult for me to do. And yeah. And I, so we, so I started taking medication mm-hmm. and, and we came home from Europe or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and right. I decided to start seeing a therapist. He was terrible. He was a Freudian therapist. Uh, he, he really wasn't compassionate at all. I'll get to him in a minute. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, but for census found, this will explain sort of where things go. But when we went on Conan, I was a complete mess. Right. I was a complete... You were so fragile. Right. So fragile. We had just done, I believe, the tsunami relief benefit at Take It Back Sunday in my camp at... at uh, it was a tsunami in Indonesia. Uh, was it? Indonesia? Yeah, the Philippines. Philippines. Maybe. No, yeah. no. It was uh, Thailand. It happened, Th- yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The, in, in 2005 or four, one yep. of them. And we got word that like, yo... Conan wants you to come on. So uh, we were, you know, we rehearsed at that show to do Rum is for Drinking because I didn't feel like I could sing Bear to Lie, couldn't hit the high notes. So I was like, let's do Rum is for Drinking. So, you know, I, I don't blame anyone because I just don't think there's a lot of discussion about like, there's more discussion now about, you know, sort of dealing with anxiety and stuff like that. Right. I just think people thought I was just a head case singer and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I absolutely was. Right. I was. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what I was doing. But I was in need of like some serious somebody to go shut this shit down. Like right. stop fucking touring. Get yourself right. Let's figure some stuff out. Let's get you some help. Right. You know, instead it was like, well, let's get buddies some pills from this one guy we know. He can send you stuff. And it's like manager should have pulled the plug. But, you know. Yeah, the, the train was already left the station. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, and I'm like, I'm not going to quit. Like, I'm not going to pull the own, my own plug. Or like, no. And, and, you, know, you don't and have was, the wherewithal to do that. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, cool. So we're going to do this Conan thing. And I was just fucking disaster. It was fucking a ner- ner- nervous wreck. Like, I, I, I couldn't handle that level of pressure already on top of... All the other things, right? You know, all the other things that I mean, that had been going on in my life that I couldn't really process yet, 
and it just, it just, it just, I just, I went on and, and we started the song and I just, I blanked out and I forgot the lyrics and it was like, I'd never felt, I think so vulnerable. And it, and it, this, this is the beginning of when I really started to hate myself. I think there's always been some level of self-hatred mm-hmm. with me. Okay. But there's always been this level of like, you're flawed, you're fucked up. But this is when I feel like you fucked up to the point where like this is unforgivable this is unforgivable and, and, and you know the reaction back then was much bigger than it would be now like mm-hmm. i don't think people i don't i think in context band being on a late night television show back then is much more well it was more rare to happen back then it was and 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 that was also too i felt like we fucking blew it i felt like we were put at a position and an opportunity was that so that was the direct feedback that you heard was that like oh yeah you guys are pretty terrible on that i don't even know i i, okay. honestly, I just came yeah, to you the dressing just- room afterwards and was like this is it like well that this was is it that was it this is it yeah, like, yeah this is a disaster and that was probably that was like the beginning of the slide down into sure. sort of like where I'd live for the next like 10 years, just cause it was like, it was almost like all my worst suspicions of myself had been confirmed that like, mm-hmm. I couldn't take it. I couldn't handle it. Right. I couldn't deal with it. Life had become really overwhelming for me in all aspects right. to the point where like, I, I couldn't really physically, I mean, I wasn't eating, like I couldn't eat, like I had no appetite. If anybody's right. ever like really suffered from, not just a panic attack, but like prolonged generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. And you just really, you have no appetite. And it's like the first time that it ever happens in your life, it's really disruptive because you don't have any previous, you don't have any coping mechanisms. You don't have any previous experience with it. You don't understand that this will pass. This is just a Yeah, this thing. is temporary, this, right? You, it, this it, feels, it feels permanent for you. It feels permanent. It feels, and you're starting to take medication and you're just starting to like, what is wrong with me? And you have this real flawed sense of yourself that was already there and now is just really being confirmed. Right. You no, know, I, you know, I just, it was like, so it was, it was a really terrible time in my life. And yeah. uh, then I started to, that's when I started drinking. Okay. was like, um, was after that. I think I just said, fuck it. I was like, you know, what, what's going to help here? What's going to help? Cause yeah, I started yeah. taking medication and it helped, but like anyone who's ever been on the medication knows it like takes the edge off, but it doesn't take away any of the pain, the like right. weight or the, yeah, the burden is still there. Sure. Anything. It takes away that like, uh, it's just called, something's called disassociation a lot. I mean, what is, what is this a defense mechanism for like, like if you were being eaten by a bear, right. You would disassociate from your body. Of course. Right. Where you don't really have much contact with it, control, and you're sort of almost out of body experience. Right. You feel like you're floating above it. To, sure. to alleviate, it's a defense mechanism to right. alleviate the amount of pain, the amount of suffering that's happening, you disassociate. And that's a lot of times common what happens with people with, with panic attacks is you disassociate. And it's very fucking scary because you literally like are disassociating out of your body. Nothing feels real, nothing feels right. Right. And um you're just kind of you're 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 probably trying to grasp at any sense of reality. Yeah, and you're yep. you feel like you're going crazy. And the medication kind of stops that response. Mm-hmm. It stops the disassociative stuff. It stops some of the symptoms and and gives you a break, which I think if the medication is a must for people who've never had it before, uh, I think to get out of yeah, to get, yeah, to get out it's of kind of the cycle of it, right. you, you need something to stop you. Right. Stop 
stop it and and have a break and go oh, okay okay there is a break right there is where can we go from here yeah. sure and right. uh so but i started you know and but it didn't take away any of the guilt or the pain or the anything it was all still there it was just it's surface masked. right surface so I, level you know i um i started uh drinking you know drinking heavily heavily sure. i drank and i drank every single day from 2005 until march 2014. Wow. Every single day. Okay. I missed one day. Okay. One day I didn't drink. Um, one day in like 2007. One day. Okay. I drank every single every day. Every day. Yeah. 365 days. Every sure. single day. Okay. And it ranged from being a couple drinks to eight. Right. To, to block getting out annihilated. Drunk. Sure. It, it, it ebbed and flowed. Right. You know, from the varying degrees of dependence and it 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 was uh it was the only it was the only thing that made me feel okay of course yeah it was the it was the the numbing agent it was the only like literally the only thing that i know that i could turn to that would shut it off right um, that would shut my mind off that would shut my body off that i could i could go to as like okay you're like this is this, this is solid. Gets, if whatever happens this i can fall back to drinking it right. will alleviate what needs to be dealt with right now. Yeah. And I drank, I mean, I drank, I drank, I guess that's however many years, I guess that's 10. Yeah. Yeah. Almost that nine years, nine years, Yeah, nine yeah. years of straight, straight abuse, that's, straight abuse. Really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I went in and out of, of like what you'd technically call alcoholic yeah. stages. You know right. what I mean? And that was so why I never really like looked for help. Mm hmm. And why nobody... Yeah, because you probably filtered in and out, like you were saying. It was an ebb and flow. Or it was like... weird. It was weird, though. I, I just... And not until now, not until I stopped drinking and really, you know, recently in, until the last year. Mm -hmm. Like, I had a serious fucking problem. Not drinking every single night for nine years is a serious fucking problem. It's a I don't care if it's three beers a night or you're getting blackout drunk. I think that level of dedication to numbing... And turning your mind off is a serious addiction. It and is. I definitely, I, I, I knew it and I never wanted to admit it. I mean, well, half my fucking songs are about it, but I never wanted to like. No. I never wanted to admit it. I never wanted to like. Well, yeah, you're, you, because you're, you're in it. So you have no ability well, to. Well, I also, I didn't want to admit it because I didn't want to stop. Of course. Because I didn't feel like there was any way. That was your standby. Yeah. Was, I mean, I'm sure with that that obviously completely opens the doors for bad judgment, other things that could be self-destructive. Yeah. You know, through that time period of 2005, I think through 2009, Okay, I also became a very serious sex addict. Mm -hmm. I probably spent thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on like escorts, sure, prostitutes. prostitutes, sure. I find it interesting that you. I mean, there's a lot of things I find interesting about it, but I find it interesting that you went there in regards to because you know, realistically, in general terms, you could have literally reached out to any female in your audience, so to speak, and they probably would have been interested in participating in some of the escort-like activities. But did you feel that that was you could kind of separate the two, where it's like an escort? They, is, they, they, there I mean, was, I, I there was something that I was very driven. There's there's many layers to it. Sure. Uh, one layer was, I liked the fact that they'd go away. Yeah, it was it was just a, it's a simple a, exchange. It's a simple exchange. Yep. I liked the fact that it also reinforced every time I did it, it reinforced some level of excitement. Okay. And then immediately melt with 
an extreme level of guilt and self-hatred. So if anybody's ever been in a self-destructive pattern, mm-hmm. a lot of it is bouncing between the excitement of the destructive behavior mm-hmm. and then the sheer destruction of the guilt and shame that you feel. Right. And it's this seesaw of back and forth of dealing with it. Right. I didn't get out of sleeping with fans. I, I also truly like, yeah, of course I did, you know, my fair share of that, that, but it didn't did give you it the also, same. It also, I always truly really felt terrible for doing it. I felt like I was taking advantage of, they, of, of, of being in a band. And I, I just, this, sure. I, I just, I just, and I, and I never wanted that to be the band's, um, reputation reputation so, yeah, you know, yeah. Th- this was my own thing i mean uh, most uh, well it does i mean the it's, band members i mean most of these guys never knew any of this right i'd disappear for hours right just yeah, yeah. off doing fucked up shit right uh and so like the as you were doing this was you know like how bad did it get so to speak as far as like you were saying you, you spent thousands of dollars so it's like you were on tour for you know whatever for four weeks would you be? I, mean, I do it at home. I do it on tour. I do it in other countries. There was no limit to it. I mean, there was okay. no limit to that. I mean, I took that further than I took the drinking. Okay. The drinking, I was always able to like keep it somewhat manageable okay. to where I, I, I presented this like, well, he's not an alcoholic. He's just in a band, which, you know, is pretty true because most people that tour and, you know, a lot of people that do tour and a lot of people that get into this lifestyle are functioning alcoholics. I mean, yep. you're drinking six seven, eight drinks every night. Yep. You know, and plus a lot of this was going on during my college years. So, you know, yep. 20, 21, 22, 23 people is very acceptable to be. Yeah. No one's looking, no one's giving you completely a weird up. glance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that one I was keep, keeping manageable. This was completely unmanageable and dangerous and, and fucked up. I, I spent, and you were keeping a secret from everybody. Spent, yeah. Nobody knows. I mean, okay. nobody other than, you know, I think, the couple people that I've told right. really know. Sure. You know, I mean, I, less than a handful. Right. I, I mean, unless they did some of their own searching or, or really like following you following or whatever. Or yeah, maybe yeah. some of them had hints. I mean, you know, I, I had a serious problem. I mean, I had a serious addiction and, and the addiction was to, and now that I've been able to like process this a little, I mean, it, it's to the release. It's, it's, it's to the release. You know, I never got into any hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it was never my, my body couldn't take cocaine. Like mm-hmm. my nervous system because of my anxiety and because of my stuff was, I was already up here. Yeah. yeah. Any of the like real hard shit. Right. Like, Any of the uppers. Sure. Right. Never really. I never, I never, uh, I never gravitated towards because I didn't feel like I wanted to seriously fuck myself up. Right. Like I wanted to emotionally destroy myself doing this sort of activity that was secretive. Mm-hmm self-destructive, dangerous, physically dangerous, emotionally dangerous. When you mean, uh, when you mean physically dangerous, do you mean like just the actual, like hoops? the act of doing it? I mean, you know, going, through, yeah. you know, like I was gonna say the hoops you would jump through yeah. in order to yeah. t- get this escort or yeah. go to this weird place or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's dangerous, but then also like sexually, you know, being sexually active in that way is really dangerous as well. Yeah. And then that became another layer that I padded on. I became a complete hypochondriac for like, four or five years. I, I, I actually convinced myself I had HIV years for years. I thought I, I thought I had HIV I had unprotected sex with someone uh-huh. and uh, for whatever reason, I just convinced myself that I had AIDS and right. uh, or HIV. Sure. And I, um, it just lived in a, in a, it was a very 
weird cycle of this ball. You felt I was living in this ball where I just act at where I'd, I'd, I'd act out. I then drink to numb that I'd feel a sense of separation. I then convinced myself I had some sort of serious flaw, mm-hmm. like that, like actual disease, right. have a relief from, I'd get myself all wound up, self-diagnose, come to terms with the fact that I don't have it and then go and do it again. I don't know. I couldn't even. I couldn't even put a number on how many times I did it. I, right. I would. I would say. I would say seventy or eighty, probably around there. I, I honestly don't. Yeah, know. you would. I, honestly, I don't. I don't have a recollection. Most of them. And the funny thing was, for all of them, I was probably sober. It wasn't like I would get drunk and go do it, or get fucked up and go do it. It was yeah, like it was the the alcohol was always there for me to deal with right. the pain and the shame, and to bring me back down from all of the stuff. Right. The alcohol was always almost like a medicine, like a remedy. Like, right, okay, right. okay, I did, went and did all this terrible shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because, I mean, uh, the the process of obviously, you know, finding an escort and doing this, like that that takes effort. And then you, you yourself want to be present at that because you're like, you know, either from just a practical standpoint of like, I'm paying good money for this. Like, I want to be here for this. I need to feel that feeling like you're talking about of release. Yeah. And then, like you said, the, you know, the, the, heavy guilt that lays after then 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 you're able to go back to alcohol and be like okay yeah. this is where i'm at because i always kept alcohol in a position where i never felt guilty about it mm-hmm. because i always wanted it to be there so i never wanted to overuse it right. my relationship with it was like i'm never going to overuse you because i always need you i don't ever want to have to stop drinking sure because i all else can fail at least i have this, this. and now that like i'm stepping away, stepped away from it i realize how dependent you know <laughs> Totally. I mean, you really, you know, I mean, it's really difficult to see all of it when you're in it. You know, I mean, oh, it's impossible. Well, you don't have, you don't have a perspective. All you, all you're doing, you know, you do. I mean, it's there. It's always in you. You know, it's there, which is one of the biggest, which is one of the things that fuels so much of it is that you know what you're doing is what you're doing. And what makes it so hard is that you just don't feel like you have the tools or courage. To not do it. Right. Yeah. And that's what that's what ultimately really makes some of it so fucking hard is because you know what you're doing is so detrimental to yourself, to everyone around you, mm-hmm. you know, to to your to your soul, to your spirit. Yeah, you're chipping away at it. You're just you're just yeah, I mean just fucking just stabbing stabbing it. it. Totally. Just chipping until there's I mean, until you get to a point where it's either too much. Right. And you either die. Yeah. Or you do the opposite. I think that's, that's usually how these things work. Totally. You hit, you hit bottom or yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like all during this time, you, you know, as this is the biggest, the band is, this is the biggest census fail is ever will be ever was the highlight of my career. The worst time in my entire life. It was miserable experience. I hated every minute of it. Uh, Yeah. You were, you were wearing a mask. You were wearing, you know, the only times where you felt relief is were, you know, when you were hiring escorts and you were walking away from the show because you're like, I can't even, can't deal with any of this. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we had a, um, you know, we went and did still, still searching and Mm -hmm. that was the lowest. I was living alone in Jersey city and Mm -hmm. I'd had a girlfriend through a lot of this period and, you know, I'd, and that had had a great amount of guilt and it was really that that record is that dark because it was fucking that dark right like i think a yeah that wasn't a facade no it was really really like i was you know every night just you know drinking like a half 
a bottle. I used to drink gin and tonic. I was like my thing back then. Yeah. I drink like half a bottle of gin and then every now, you know, once a week or however many times a week, I'd go and find some escort and mm-hmm. then just go do that. And then we were writing the record and then I'd wake up, at, I'd go to bed at like five, six in the morning, wake up at 11 and go to the studio, you know, go to our practice spot that we'd write the record. And right. That, that was the contents of how I was writing that. How record. you were putting yeah. it together. And, uh, was I couldn't it, sing. I wasn't singing well. I mean, I didn't even want to be alive, really. Sure. Know, like, <laughs> let alone yeah, yeah, yeah. singing. Let alone perform, right. It's kind of supposed to be like, a, you know, singing is supposed to be a very powerful, I'm here, this is me, here is what I sound like. Here's all of me, here's what I sound like. I sounded fucking terrible, Right. you know? That's why my voice on that record sounds really rugged and Rough. fucked up. And I, that's, what I, that's what I had to give. Yeah. Vocally. That's all I could give. And, right. and uh, so the rest of the band got really upset. And um, that started the whole process of kind of for the next like year and a half, uh-huh. serious discussions of kicking me out of the band okay. almost happened a couple right. times. You know, it was just, it was just, I was miserable. I was. Yeah. Was lowest of the low. Lowest of the low. And, you know, and then I was getting kicked out of the band. And right. It was You're just like- at, when that, when that, when that really started ramping up towards the end of still searching, everybody felt like, you know, Conan was kind of the big sort of what the fuck thing. And mm-hmm. then it was just like, he just can't get his shit together. He's a mess. You know, he's drinking a lot. Who knows what the fuck else he's doing. Right. He can't sing. He's not good. Uh, so most of Still Searching was fucking terrible. Yeah. Like as soon as Still Searching came out, we started the world tour. was really when some of the other members of the band were uh, like, you got to get your shit together. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I don't like... I got so much shit to get together. Like, I don't, know, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what, like, okay, you want me to start singing better? Okay. I, I, I couldn't fix my voice. Yeah, you were helpless. I was helpless. Like, so I, it was just a really tough situation because I couldn't sing any better because I had no joy. I had nothing to, to feel yeah, to work about. from. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and my voice had dropped mm-hmm. because of all the drinking and all the smoking and all the shit I'd done, anyways. Plus, I was 22 and not 18. Yeah. You know, when I was singing in a higher register, my voice had kind of dropped. Right. So I couldn't sing that way anyways. So I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to like remedy that within the band and then self-medicating and then doing all the other stuff. And it was just a fucking mess. It was a disaster. It was a terrible, like that record cycle and that record, or I don't even remember a lot from it. Cause I don't, cause I just, it was just terrible. It was a terrible experience. Yet we were selling out every show we played. Right. Being selling the highest of highs, you should be hundreds yeah. of thousands of records, right? You know, census failed. You know, that was our big, big, big record. That was your moment. That was our moment, and I was not. And you weren't present for. I any wasn't of present. It. I wasn't available. I was. I was getting kicked out of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. I, so as you were, uh, you know, as you were going through your, your darkest times, was that also the beginning of where you were? you were struggling with like your sexual identity and kind of like where that all sat in your head or was that something that had always manifested itself and you were just able to experiment more with it? I mean, you know, as far as my sexual identity goes, that's been something that's been there forever. Okay. You know, that's not something that just came up then or at any point. It had always been there. It had Mm -hmm. just always been a question of, I, you know, I, I think it's difficult for me to define this because it seems undefinable and i know that doesn't work for some people yeah of know? course well pe- i mean people want to paint i i, I totally understand I, of course I get it, but yeah, yeah, yeah i you know and this is what a lot of this is about is not only discussing all the struggles that i've been through that are clearly 
you know, evident on record. Yeah. You know, they're, they're there. <laughs> You've in put the it songs, out there. Right. Right. I've never really discussed any of the, like what was actually behind that, you of know, course. and this other level of my sexuality and sort of not really feeling like I've, I'm straight, mm-hmm. not feeling like I'm gay, not feeling like I'm bi really sort of was, is a thread that's run through my entire life. That's really made me in any situation never feel comfortable okay. because I've always been attracted to everything. Yeah. I've only had relationships with women. Mm-hmm. I've had sexual relationships with everyone. Okay. With men, with women, with girls that dress like guys, with guys that dress like girls, with, you know, I, there's no limit to right. that. You've explored every sexual side of, of a person that you could potentially. Yeah. Right. And, I don't feel like I'm bi. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I want to have a committed relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've had committed relationships yeah. with women. Yeah, and, and and currently I'm in a you know I'm, I'm with someone who I feel like I'll be with for the rest of my life, and she's uh, she's a she. Yeah, she's a she. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, this is a big thread that I really didn't realize until pretty recently. I wasn't able to admit it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I just wanted to fight it. And and because it was never too apparent. It was never, I never felt like there was a label for it. It's true. And there isn't a label for it. And, and that was part of the problem for me was what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I'm not gay. Like, I can't go be part of the gay team. Mm-hmm. Like, God, that might have been a little bit easier for me right. to be, maybe not easier. And that that's, maybe that's an insensitive way to put it. Well, no, easier in the, easier in the sense of defining, easier. right? Yeah. Define it would be easier for you to define from the cultural standpoint. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, or or even say I was bi, and then I could be like, well, you know, I'm kind of you know. Here's my I, definition. But I'm like, right. I never felt like I had a definition. I never felt like I had a boundary, and I never felt comfortable exploring any of it, and I never felt comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. And that's not because my parents weren't open or. Even my friends, I just, I just feel like I, I, you know, and this is part of the reason why I want to talk about this. I just feel like I never felt comfortable talking about it because I never had like a place to put it. And I think that the sexual fluidity or identity, you know, being fluid is not something that's really a conversation being had. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is in in places, but definitely not in in our world, not in the punk world, not in the hardcore world, not in the... You know, obviously with Laura Jane Grace, there's been a great, you know, a, a, a larger discussion. Yep. Um, there's at least an aw- there's more of awareness. awareness. Yep. You know, and that's been amazing. But but I feel like coming from the standpoint of being a guy that identifies as like, if you saw me, you'd be like, that's a fucking straight dude. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know? It's right. like, I'm not. Right. I'm not by definition straight. Right. And that was always my biggest thing is like, well, then what am I? Like, I'm not gay, but I definitely don't feel fucking straight. Yeah. And I definitely know that I'm never been straight, but I definitely know that I'm not like gay. You know, what the fuck am I? Right. You know, what, what am I? And I'm I, I like, it's like you're, you're like, I am attracted to people. I am attracted to humans. That's like, that's the easiest way you can describe yourself. You're like, I'm attracted to humans. I'm not interested in a committed relationship with a man. I'm interested in a committed relationship with a woman. Where does that leave me? Yeah, and and it kind of leaves me nowhere, and I'm sure that there's many other people out there like me, and mm-hmm. I think that a lot of what happened with me, with all the escorts, and with everything was m- 
my way of experimenting because I didn't feel, I did not feel comfortable experimenting in any other way because I felt that because of the fact that I was semi like, I don't want to say famous. But, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you, know, you were recognizable. You're recognizable. Yeah. I just felt like going into, you know, a gay bar going into like, like a trans show or whatever. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I had nobody. I'd also had no friends like that. Like right, I, right. I, I wasn't because I wasn't identifying myself as gay. I really didn't have a lot of friends that maybe I would be like, yeah, let's go do this. Like, no, it was, it's fucking me. Like, yeah. Well, you were you were already so isolated. Yeah, I was Inten- so isolated, anyways. Intentionally, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'd already had all this other stuff going on, and this this theme of sexuality was run through my whole life, which also made me, you know, attributed to this idea that I was flawed in some way, like deeply flawed. Right. Um, you know, this is one of the other things that you know I've never talked about, never mentioned, but does attributed to me, me feeling so flawed. Because right. It links back to that. Of all course. of the escort stuff was mainly with you know, not women. It was with transsexual women and, and, mm-hmm. and men. And it was just sort of my way of how can I experiment? You felt like that was a safe place to do so. It felt like the safest place. Sure. It felt, it literally felt like the safest place because I knew I was attracted to that stuff, but I didn't feel comfortable like being open about it. And I didn't feel comfortable experimenting in other places for fear that, I'd be found out. Plus, I, I I didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, you know, and and it was really too. I also really felt the deep seated companionship with the level of suffering that maybe somebody who you know does have to do that kind of stuff for work. Sure, it was almost like I could be with someone that I projected felt as miserable as me. Mm-hmm. And I think especially to somebody you know who's going through a gender identity crisis, I felt like their level of suffering I could could relate to. Right. Not their exact suffering, but just the level, the, the weight, yeah, no, the weight of like right. all of the stuff that had been happening in my life and, and sort of not understanding like, am I gay? Am I straight? Am I bi? Like my grandma's dead. The band wants to kick me out. I can't sing. Like I'm a fucking <laughs> drunk. Like I really, really felt that a level of like, you can relate. Yeah. In that way. Um, that somebody you know who who who's been through, you know, a, I, I don't know the ex- I think I don't know the exact term for it is, but you know mm-hmm. has sort of um, a, a transsexual woman or man. Well, there's there's a struggle there. Yeah, evident. there's there's a definite struggle of yep. feeling like they don't belong in their own. Skin. They don't belong in their own skin, and and that's basically the way I felt my whole life. I felt absolutely terrible for not being able to be a straight guy. Yeah. I, 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 I fucking hated myself for it. Right. I hated myself for it. And then I did all these things, made me hate myself even more. You know, mm-hmm. all of the, the paying for sex and, and then just, just the, I, it just, it, it, it filled me up with so much guilt and shame that mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm surprised I'm even like made it out. I don't, I'm not I don't really, know, like, well, know, I don't really know what, um, I was going to say, cause I mean, to, to put a over, overarching pin in all this where it's like, I, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm glad that I've known you over the past year <laughs> rather than yeah. knowing you like five years ago. Yeah. Cause I, I, I see, I mean the buddy that sits in front of me and I see where you're at now and, and everything that you've shared with me prior to this and during this. And like you, you have a, um, a more of a sense of clarity obviously on not only wanting to express this, but then kind of 
not even so much who you are, but where you want to go. Mm. And I think that's like, to me, that's the most gratifying thing you can kind of see in a person where you're like, dude, you're not shackled by your past. You are, whether you're optimistic or not about your future, at least you're looking forward. Mm. At least you have something. And that, that's the thing that I've seen in you where it's like, I have this, you know, I have meditation. I have, I have things that I can do that don't, aren't self-destructive, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's just so, it's so interesting to, to, to watch that from that perspective. And like, like you said, I mean, I think the, 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 the biggest point that you're trying to make in all this is the fact that you want people to have open dialogues about this yeah, and to have a safe place in which to have an open dialogue about this. Not only because, you know, no diminishing what people go through, but, you know, alcohol and drug abuse is like that, People can talk about that. Yeah. Safe place to talk about. But sexual addiction, sexual abuse, that's not some like sexual abuse, of course, to a certain extent, where like molestation and stuff like that. Clearly that's like spoken about, but there is still there's a tabooness about it. Yeah, that. absolutely. And so I think that there that the fact that you want to have an open dialogue about sexuality and what that means within the context of independent music, like that's, you know. To me, that's the point of what you're trying to make. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is to, you know, someone like me, who's maybe 20 years old, who doesn't identify as straight or gay, mm-hmm. can not feel like they have to experiment in this way that, I don't know, brings a great deal of fear and shame. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you're also spreading that too. It's also, you know, it's it's like a cycle of, of not have to do what I did to come to this realization. I think if I had known someone who maybe had felt the same way, yeah. I might've been able to have more courage to say, look this at that guy. Is, this is a thing. This right. is a thing. There's that guy. And, and I, you know, I'm not saying that I think I should be that one right. for someone, but I do think that I'm willing to talk about it yep. because I want to live authentically and I don't want to cover parts of who I am um, in order to protect myself. I, I, don't, I don't feel the need You're trying to, to, yeah, you, to do that anymore. Right. I'm, I don't want to live like that. And uh, this is a big part of it because this is who I am. This is, this is my story. I mean, this is what this band is about. You know, mm-hmm. this band is about an autobiographical journey through depression, addiction, all kinds of addiction and, and great, you know, like sexual identity. I mean, that's what this band is. So it's like to not talk about this or to, you know, to, to go into writing these later records, which are about a way out Mm -hmm. or some sort of peace and not to truly really dig up, you know, part of me didn't want to make it public, but it's like, it's already public. I mean, it's already, right. It's already there. You just didn't, you, you yourself weren't, you're not able to explain the context. To everybody. Yeah. And so, also yeah. too, it's, it's like, there's this level of, you're only going to get as much peace as you're willing to let go. Mm-hmm. Like you're only going to get as much as you're willing to let go of. Sure. And I think that I know I have faith that if I can let go of this peace that I have protected for so long, that then there's an infinite amount of, more peace that I can have mm-hmm. by not having to carry this a secret, you know, g- guilt. I mean, this this whole. I mean, it took up ten years of my life of really, you know, just deep seated 
depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, drinking, you know, alcohol, just yeah. all of it. And, 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 and the whole time on top of all of it, this feeling that like there was something really wrong with me, that the fact that I couldn't identify as a straight man it really fucking bothered me. Yeah. You know, it really bothered me. It really, and, and it bothered me that I couldn't identify as a gay man either. I couldn't identify as either. And it made me feel very fucking isolated. Right. And that's sort of what I'm hoping to start to talk about and be open about and dialogue about that. Like you don't have to be gay. You don't have to be straight. Totally. You can float in between. It's a real thing. It's not. And, and cause there's a lot of discussion and anytime you hear someone say they're bi, it's like pick a side. Yeah. yeah. So it's got, you know, it's gone from like, okay, cool. It's okay to be, you know, it, it, it's, it almost feels like, you know, within some of the more tall, obviously it's not okay to be anything yep. in certain parts of the world and yep. in this country, it's, it's not okay to, yeah, it's still not okay to be gay or whatever. It's right? Not, yeah, sure, it's not yeah. okay to be anything yep. really, yep. but you know, in some of the more liberal areas, it's still, it's not okay to be bi. That's, that's too much. You can't have both. Right. It's so it's not even okay to, it's like never felt okay to be not like fluid. It just, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, uh, well, I think, I think ultimately that the, the, the point is that there needs to be a place where people can feel these things safely and, yeah. f- and feel these things and understand that people go through this yeah. and people go through like whether, whether or not it's like whether or not it's sexual identity, it could be some other thing where yeah, a person yeah, feel yeah, yeah, like, yeah. F- doesn't feel attached, doesn't feel identified with whatever, whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's all, you know, it's different circumstances, same isolation. Exactly. Which is, you know, it's, you know, kind you want to pull Yeah. You want to pull it in. Do right. Moving forward. And I'd like census fail to represent, you know, a place where people who do feel isolated, in an extreme sense and, and in any sense. I mean, any mm-hmm. time that I think anybody feels isolated, that's what pushes so much of our hangups and mm-hmm. suffering and, and why we create, you know, this, I think they're saying hurt people, hurt people. I mean, it's, it doesn't get any more. I know that it, it, like, it seems so lame to like say, you know, hurt people, hurt people. It's like, but, but it's true. You look yeah. at anybody who's causing any sort of harm to anyone. Yep. They probably are internally experiencing some level of, Inner discomfort anguish, or, yes. or some discomfort or, and, uh, you know, I experienced that for years and I felt just the need to really sort of put this out there because I feel like I've been open about everything else in the band. And, um, yeah, this was like, the, this is like one of the, the last stone unturned, the right? The last sort of thing to talk about. Well, I couldn't have really talked about it when I was in it. No. You know, and it's been, it's been years since I really did a lot of the, you know, going to an escort and stuff like that. I've, I've been in a committed relationship for like four years now. So right. it's been years, but even then, even then, like, you know, and she, and my girlfriend knew when we started our relationship out, like my sexual identity and all of this stuff, I, she was, that's really one, because I, you know, I went for a long time being like, I'm never going to be able to tell people that like, I've slept with transsexual women and right. guys and I'm going to have to keep this secret for the rest of my fucking life. Like yeah. I'm never going to find someone that's going to think that this is okay. Sure. And that was my outlook. I mean, right. that was really like my outlook was, okay, you're just going to have to keep this a secret your whole fucking life. That, that was the, there was no option. The right. option was since I, I feel like I always felt like I wanted to be in a committed relationship with a woman uh-huh. that I'm going to have to keep this a secret my whole fucking of life. That there is no woman out there that's going to be okay with this. And, uh, you know, she, she was, and that really like, uh, opened the door to allowing myself to let this go, let this go. Yeah. yeah. It has been a process over the last 
you know, however many years. Yeah. Yeah. It was really the first time that somebody was like, I don't care. But it was the first also time that I felt okay with saying mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. You had to make that first step. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, buddy, I think we got somewhere. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, like, I mean, when you first told me about this and we were setting this up, I, I, I couldn't be more thankful that you obviously wanted to use it. this as a form and trusted me enough to escort you through this. So it wasn't just uh, you talking to Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would have been, that would have been weird. <laughs> that would have been weird, but I really appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it too. Thank you, man. Thank you. So there you go. Uh, that was buddy sharing his story and I was so, I don't know, taken aback, humbled, whatever adjective you want to put in that describes that feeling of just being like, wow, thank you so much for sharing this with me. When someone works up the, the courage to expose themselves, it's incredible. I've been fortunate enough to kind of be by people's sides as they were going through difficult times or they wanted to admit something, you know, that they had been doing. And the, the biggest lesson that I've learned in, in people and failings that we all have, not only towards one another, but towards ourselves, is the fact that you should always come at it from a not judgmental place. You should never be like, oh man, like, I can't believe you did that. That's so messed up. Or, oh my gosh, that's awful. Listen to what the person is trying to say, but be there for them. Be present in that moment. And then you'll be able to help them in ways that you probably never even intended to prior to that conversation. Yeah, it's just really special that, uh, that I was able to share this conversation with you. And that buddy trusted me enough to be able to present this in a meaningful manner and not just like, oh, cool, here's like a uh, pull quote and here's some sound bites and all that sort of stuff. So thank you very much for listening. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Visit our media partner, Property of Zach. The producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. And um, yeah, this, this was a great, great thing. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Be safe, everybody. 